Welcome to the Fanboy Strike Back Comic Review Podcast, episode 52. Hey there, and welcome to the Fanboy Strike Back Comic Review Podcast. I'm David. I'm Eric. And we are the Fanboys of Strike Back. Uh, every week we read the comics that came out. Uh, we kind of throw a challenge to each other. We'll pick a book that the other one wouldn't normally read, and we'll come here and we'll discuss those different reviews on the show. And then we'll, we'll pick a selected bunch of books to talk about, some good, some bad. Uh, and then we'll, we're going to hit up in something of pop, pop culture. Sometimes we talk about heroes, uh, video game. This week, Eric, you actually caught up on the Star Wars Clone Wars series uh, that's been airing on the Cartoon Network, so we're going to discuss that. Um, but we're going to talk about everything in these uh, reviews, so there are going to be spoilers. If you don't want to be spoiled, you might want to pause the podcast. If you hear something you, you might not want to hear, come back later. Uh, but that being said, I think we're going to jump into your book first, Eric. And so I asked you to pick up Daredevil number 112. And uh, why don't you tell us what you thought? I'm uh, I'm glad you did. Uh, Daredevil, like out of all the Marvel characters, Daredevil has always seemed like something I thought I would like. But mm-hmm. Exactly. I've never, yeah, I've never gone back. And like I know the Kevin Smith run is supposed to be really good. And, and, you know, of course, the legendary Frank Miller run. And, you know, I've heard the Bendis run was fantastic. Basically, I've heard the book has been good for a really long time, yeah. and um, so I just like where do you jump in? It's always daunting. It's always daunting to put that first toe in the water, and so uh, I'm glad you suggested this. Uh, so this was a uh, the Lady Bullseye Part Two, and again, thank God Marvel has these recap pages. I don't feel like I missed much. <laughs> no, the first issue was just a setup. Yeah, um, but I really like this. Um, I, probably most of all, I really enjoyed uh, Michael Lark, the the artist on this book. I, you know, it's it's dark, it's shady, it's it's a it's realistic, but not. I don't know. There, there's a difference between like Rags Morales realistic and Michael Lark realistic. Like they both have really good character models. However, this is much more rough and sketchy, which it seems to be kind of a. I don't know if it's just a trend in Marvel books a little bit more lately, where DC seems really clean yeah. to me. Uh, Marvel, you know, especially with, like, uh, Lionel U and stuff like that, seems to have a little bit more of a sketchy uh, sketchy look to it. Uh, criminals that way as well. But, um, yeah, I thought this was, was really good. I felt like I already kind of had some kind of hand in it because I knew who the hand was, that, which totally reminds me of the Foot Clan. Oh, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> I'm pretty but, sure. Uh, like, I'm not sure what came first, actually. So. I don't know. It's a, it's a chicken-egg thing. Yeah. But, um... But in to see Danny Rand, I like Danny Rand, and and I know his connection with Daredevil somewhat from the Civil War thing. So it seems like uh, there's there's a lot of infighting amongst the hand, and and there's Lady Bullseye who's popping up, and she seems to have some kind of personal beef with Daredevil. And do we know what that is yet? Did I not, miss that? Not yet. All we know is that she has a fascination with Bullseye. She was um, being tortured. That's what. Uh, that's basically all you found out last issue was that she was being tortured in this kind of prison and Bullseye came through and just killed everyone. And she kind of just sat there and watched the whole thing and was just in awe of what he did. And so now that's why she takes the name Lady Bullseye. Okay. Well, I like to, there was a lot of great little uh, character moments. I, I love the part where the hand is testing different people. Like they, they go to Black Tarantula first. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I really like that part. And then they go to, to Danny Rand and then they, um, they end up out with Lass. It was just those two, I think. It was just those two. Okay, I'm, I'm going through the book now. But um, anyways, I really liked it. And I was a little lost. Like, I don't know who the little the, the guy in the last page was. It was like, you know, I, I want to drink, but I want to beat yeah, the I hand. Didn't, and I didn't know either. So that, okay. that looks like it. I mean, I just picked... I didn't start reading uh, Daredevil until... Oddly enough, I didn't start reading Daredevil until the movie came out, which was when Bendis was writing it. So there's still a lot about Daredevil that I don't know. But I think that's a fairly new character. Yeah. Um, actually, like, the the character that, I mean, Daredevil himself, I, he really didn't have a whole lot of, at no point in the book did Daredevil dress up, mm-hmm. and, you know, he was he was kind of a bummer in this book, but I'm, I'm looking forward to getting to know him a little bit better. It was kind of like the Dark Knight Syndrome, where all the supporting cast was much more interesting than the main character in this book. 
Um, but I'm sure that'll even out as, as I keep going, because I'm going to keep reading this. I really liked it. And um, although I'm, uh, every time I look at Daredevil with the, the red glasses, I'm thinking Scott Summers. Scott Summers. Yeah, he's got the ruby shades. That's odd, because I've never actually have had that distinction, when I probably should have. I guess oh, it's right. because Matt has red hair while Scott has brown hair, so that's how I always tell. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not it's not terribly clear on the coloring here, but yeah, um, it was good. I, again, the the artwork was just like, oh my god, this is I was I was eating that up with a spoon. So, um, eight out of ten, yeah, I enjoyed a, it. Nice, an, an actual good review for a book that I recommended from you. I know. See, the, it had happened sooner. It later. happens. Wow. All right, well let's uh, let's turn it around a little bit and I picked, I picked Final Crisis Submit number one for you. Were you I trying wanna... to were you trying to torture me for some reason? I don't know what you're talking about. I li- I liked it. I I I didn't I didn't like this too much. Okay, um, well, I I didn't know what to expect really from it, but yeah, uh... I did, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Um, the overall story of Final Crisis Submit was. It seemed to, to a call, or, or it was supposed to go hand in hand with the idea that everything's different now in Final Crisis, and this this new world where Dark Side has control of everything. The the anti life equation is is out there, full blown, ready to go, and like the heroes are kind of being brainwashed and taken over. Some of the heroes, like Black, Black Lightning, which this focuses on, he's out there still trying to be a hero, still part of this resistance. But this was basically a tale of Black Adam or not Black Black Lightning trying to be a hero, trying to resist, but the, but he he doesn't fail, but in the end he loses. Um, I just felt like there was I just felt like there was nothing to this. Um, and I, and we're going to talk about Final Crisis, but I just feel like this didn't matter to me. Like, I never felt like this was really real, that this was going on. I'm not sure if that makes any sense. Okay, well, I don't know. I What I like, the, the key component of this was Black Lightning's on his way to save someone in the Resistance, and on, on the way he runs across, um, uh, what's the tattoo yeah, guy? Tattoo man. At two man, he runs across his family who who I've never is heard a, of that guy before either. He's uh, he's a villain from from somewhere, but apparently, like he's kind of reformed. But he he really hates superheroes. Yeah. But his fa- his family is kind of normal. But and they're saying, you know, we're we're holed up. We got to get out of here, and and they're in trouble. So Black Lightning stops to save them, and Black Lightning is also trying to get this piece of information onto the other side of the resistance, and he imprints that on Tattoo Man, and Tattoo Man. He's able to basically Black Lightning kind of sacrifices himself so, so Tattoo Man and his family can get away, and in the end, Black Lightning gets taken over by the anti-life equation. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, that was there wasn't a whole lot of substance to this. It's going to be carried on in a Final Crisis Resist, so I don't know if more of that is going to happen later. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it it definitely felt like a Grant Morrison title. I really liked it. I mean, this. We're going to talk about Final Crisis in a second, but this was the start of where, you know, I'm watching the anti-life equation be released everywhere, and I'm like, shit, this is this is a big deal. Like, um, I felt very much like uh, the first Terminator movie, how they're always, like, constantly on the run, or, or any zombie movie, actually. Right. Um, where they're always on the run, like, there's, there's nowhere that's really safe, you know, you stop for a few minutes in one place, you know, catch your breath, and then you're on the run again. And that's very much what this felt like. See, um, I, that's I just I don't I don't buy that. That was my my thing. Is that well, what don't you buy about? It just doesn't. There's no setup. It just it was like, okay, uh, issue three of Final Crisis, crap's gone bad, and this is the and we're kind of we're kind of getting beside the point. But like the whole point of the month break was like to show that this world is really at least I think that was the point was that to show this world was really gone bad. So, like, if there were a couple of titles like this that I had read, that would maybe have given me something. But just to read this one issue, and it's supposed to be like, hey, this is how things are right now, it just, it wasn't believable to me at all. Like, I never felt like things were bad in this world, because I haven't really seen too much of this world. Where Well, that's 
this is where you see it. I mean, that's right. But this isn't enough. I, it's not. It's going to take more than one issue for me to care about what's going on with something that seems to be such a big deal. That okay. like this okay. should be have been a miniseries or something. Because that's what I was. I was reading this. I was like, I was flipping through and flipping through, and I was just like, oh, okay. I didn't really care about anything that happened there. I like it was just a completely forgettable issue to me. All right. I didn't think right. it was poorly written. If I thought actually. For Morrison, it made more sense than a lot of stuff that of his that I liked, but it just seems irrelevant to me. Alright. So I would probably, I'd give it like a 5 out of 10. I didn't think it was a horrible comic, I just didn't think that it mattered to me. Like, it's, if if I lost that comic, or if it, you know, if it was thrown away, I, I wouldn't second guess it. Okay, well I'm not, I'm not saying it's, you know, one for the, to get slabbed or anything, but... Okay, so moving on from there, I'm really curious. Funnel Crisis number four. Uh, I love this book. Yeah. This, uh, if we were still doing Book of the Weeks, this would have been mine. Uh, and I'm, now, what what did you think about it? I, I, I absolutely hated this book. Absolutely hated it. Really? Absolutely. Like, I was, I was, so actually, good, I was actually mad when I got done reading this book. This is like this is where shit has finally hit the fan, this, and like this thing is so it's so absurd. It's so absurd. I was so upset after reading this. Really? Yeah, and I and dude, and I'm the only person. Like everyone loved this book. Every every podcast everywhere, everyone loved this. I hated it. And like what, we said, why? well, like Just we said, because and, um, thing, like, what's that? It's because the same thing. Like you don't feel like the situation yeah. is that bad. I don't. I I don't care. Like, so you just well you just you're just not into the story then. Like but I just, don't feel like the story matters. That's that's the thing. It's not like like I can see the faults of Secret Evasion, but like I feel like Secret Evasion matters to the Marvel universe. Like this doesn't matter to the DC universe to me at all. Especially and like we're getting back to my personal preference where I feel like if you're gonna have a big Final Crisis book, then that needs to be reflected in the other books that are going on. So. When I'm reading Superman and it's he's doing the stuff with New Krypton, and there's supposed to be this huge, huge event going on, I don't th- th- those two things can't go together for me. See, I don't think it has to be some huge company or company spanning thing. Like it can be like okay, Crisis on Infinite Earths. Besides just a few extra titles, was still fairly well contained to to that miniseries. And so, like, I don't think this, you have to see something, like, off-referencing Final Crisis, especially if they're trying to shoehorn it in, which is what we've seen sometimes in, like, Batman R.I.P., because that, actually, usually, that comes off really kind of I I definitely agree with what you're saying, but my issue is that I feel like between issue three and issue four, a whole bunch of crap got bad, but I have no reference to, like, what actually happened. Well, it's like one one month later. You're not supposed to know. It's like the same right, thing but that see, but I, but that doesn't work for me. That's just like when DC did the one year later stuff, which I hate it because if you jump to the future and I don't know what's happened, I don't care. Like if I'm if all of a sudden, and, th- and th- that's just my personal preference. It has to be because when I'm when there was there's supposed to be this sense of dread and there's this sense of danger and the sense of desperation, and I never once believed it. Like I never once believed that. These heroes were in trouble. I never once believed that this would be a scary world to live in. Like, I didn't buy it at all. I don't get how you can even say that. Because like, there's no, there's nothing, cool. there's nothing to it. This is, this doesn't seem like this is important to the DCU at all. It doesn't. It seems like this is a crazy story that Grant Morrison wanted to tell, and they're letting him do it. So, so just look at it within the scope of this book, and then, yeah, you'd say, like, this is a horrible thing for the, to happen to the DC Universe. But I haven't seen anything. Like, and here's the thing, and maybe it's stuff, like, because stuff is happening, nothing big is happening in this. Like, the big stuff is happening off-camera. Like, we haven't seen Superman. We know that he's off in whatever dimension. He's gone. Batman, we haven't seen since, like, the second issue. We don't know where he is. We know that Wonder Woman got turned into this whatever thing. But we never saw those things. It so we're just seeing well, the before and after. And to me, that does, I don't care. Like, if we're just seeing before and after, like, two different takes, and we're no, there's no transition in between, I'm just like, that, I don't, 
that's like jarring. That, I hate that. Disagree with everything that you're saying. First of all, the DCU is bigger than the big three. And no, what but, I love about- but we're not seeing anything here. All we see in here are we're seeing like we saw Green Arrow. We saw like the stuff with Barry was good. Like I like the stuff with Barry and Wally in here. Yeah, I, I called the I called the Dan Turpin turning the dark side thing in the first issue, which is, I think it's just weird. It just it doesn't seem like a big event like dread story that I care about. I just I don't care about it at all. Okay, well, okay. Counterpoint to what you're saying. What I really liked about this is I liked that it didn't focus on any of any huge characters. Like we had a small grouping of like Barbara Gordon. Green Arrow, uh, Dino Lance, the Flash's kids, and and the wives, which was kind of a weird thing to to see, like because at this point they probably think Wally's gone too, because no one's seen him in weeks or mo- or about a month now, and so they probably think he's dead. They even make Green Arrow makes a really horrible joke about like the the Flash Widows Club or something like that, but like and and then we see the Ray as well, which I I really like the Ray, but I love the sense that there's like these small little groups of like second string third string heroes that are still banding together throughout the world i felt like i felt very claustrophobic reading this book and i felt like oh shit things are bad like danger is just outside the door and there's nothing like keeping them out except like you're in a small room with a few other people and that's it and then you find out like there's all these little resistances spread up and a lot of them are falling as you as you read the book and you get this big huge motivational speech from alan scott which i love that alan scott's a badass he is. There's no doubt and um you know, I just, I loved it. I thought, like, damn, this is an awful place to be in. And, and there's, Green Arrow makes the sacrifice, and at the end, he gets taken down for it. And and the scene with Barry was just absolutely fantastic. I loved him going to Iris and, and just kissing her and, you know, I'm sorry I was late. And I'm just like, man, Barry Allen's going to come back and just yeah. whoop everyone. I thought that was cool. I thought the stuff with Barry was cool. I didn't care. About, like, the Green Arrow stuff, I was like, this, this, doesn't, this isn't going to last. I don't care. This doesn't seem important. But no, here's the thing though, is that even though, of course, nothing lasts in comics, but it's all about that, the moment, like in the moment you think that something's going to last you in the moment you're with that connected, that character. Like I was never immersed in this book. And so like, this is, I'm done. Like no more final crisis for me. It's, it's, it's over. All right. Well, I completely disagree. I thought the the last scene where they put the crown on on Darkseid's head and the thumb goes down. That's a that's a beautiful page, by the way. It, but, I like. Uh, I mean, a lot of people are upset about the because Carlos Pacheco did it. I thought I thought the art was great, and then the big thing is that um, JG Jones isn't going to be doing the last issue because he didn't have time. There's and, Carlos Pacheco. What's that? There's Carlos Pacheco, though, I don't think. It's going to be someone else. No, it's not going to be Carlos Pacheco. It's going to be someone else. It's going to be... I thought maybe it was someone from the new Krypton team. Some some kind of new person. And that Yeah, that sucks, but I don't think that's going to ruin the story. Yeah, J.G. Jones' art is awesome, but... They've been doing a fairly good job already of blending the art styles, and it seems like that's what they're going to keep striving for. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it doesn't matter to you because you're not going to read it, but like this was a nine out of ten book for me. This was... this this was like a two out of ten for me. I would give it two points because it had art and it had words, but other than that, I hated it. Edwards. All right, all right. Let's let's talk about the other big nut then. All right, let's go over to Secret Invasion number seven. So, what did you think of this one? Now, see, I you haven't this... been you haven't been too happy with Secret Invasion. I enjoyed this too, but again, like I didn't get the overwhelming sense of dread that I had with Final Crisis. Like this felt like this had a lot of nice little moments, but as far as like any substance, there's still no substance. It's like it's all just flash and like you know a lot of like fl- flashy things, basically. You know, to make you go ooh and ah, but there's not a whole lot of story going on. It's just like fight, 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 fight. Mm-hmm. But that being said, the Hawkeye moment was badass that was i think that's pretty much the only word that you could use to sum that up that was like that was freaking awesome i mean it was one thing it was one thing when he picks up the bow and then it's another thing when he starts taking out scrolls but when you see him get spider-woman in the sights and then all of a sudden you see a bow or an arrow just shoot right through her mouth you're just like oh 
Jeez. Yes. There was a lot of that. There was a lot, and like I said, a lot of nice little character moments where uh, Jessica Jones left her baby with uh, Skrull Jarvis. Mm-hmm. And I'm still confused on what, like, they're trying to throw us off with that baby thing with the green eyes. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't I can't know. tell you. But, and I'm not even a, a Marvel Boy fan. Is that his name? Yeah, I'm not either. Boy. But when he showed up, I was throwing my fists up in the air. Like that, I was like, he's badass too. I like, honestly like I there was a couple of moments in this book where I got chills, and I was surprised to say that that was one of them. When he shows up and he he starts declaring himself and what he's there to do, I was like, wow, this he's not gonna mess around. Uh, I, I I love this book and I've loved the series so far. I think you're right. I I think that there wasn't there the story isn't hasn't been there. Um, but I, unlike Final Crisis, I felt like there was high stakes here. I felt like it was maybe kind of empty story-wise, but in terms of, like, what was going on, I felt like this was an issue that I finished in, like, it seemed like 15 seconds, because I was just, like, going through it, because I was so excited and so amped up with everything that was going on. And honestly, that might have to do more with, uh, use art than Bendis's story at this point because I, I do see the problem with the story. But I was like, I was just taken for a ride with this issue. I just thought it was amazing. And um, just like the moments that we we're talking about, the stuff with the Marvel Boy, um, stuff with the Watcher showing up and Peter just calling it and just having to jinx themselves. And I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how this is going to end. At this point, there's going to have to be a lot of substance and a lot of stuff that's going to hit you in that in that last issue for it to be worth it and for this to come out being a success. But I, for this issue alone, I loved it. Yeah, I mean, I'd give it like a 7.5 or 8 out of 10. enjoyed it a lot reading it. Um, and really my gripes about the story aren't even especially with this issue. I think that's how the whole book has yeah, gone lately. Exactly. But, like, there's things that I didn't get. Like, I don't, I still don't get the the thing with the wasp at the end. Like, what, when was that, that was, ever set up? Well, that was, like, that's, um, that was back in, in Mighty Avengers. So, you, you would have to have read Mighty Avengers, but, um. And therein lies a huge problem. Well, that, uh, see, that's, that's the difference, though. But, because I love that, but obviously that's the person, like, that caters to me. And so I definitely understand that. But yeah, in Mighty Avengers, Hank Pym gave her that formula and said, here. And so that was kind of a, a one of the things that came up when Hank turned into a scroll. You're like, well, why did he give that to Janet? And I think it's... I would agree that that plot device is a little bit... Uh, I'm not sure how to say it. it, it, it that's something that is not even going to be alluded to. Because until you found out that they mentioned the Wasp, which I think they didn't even mention her until the last issue, I believe, where they're like, Spider-Woman's like, you know, is the Wasp still there? And they're like, yeah. You wouldn't yeah. really go back and think about that. So it's one thing if you plant a seed, but if you're going to do that, you kind of have to refer back. And so that should have been something that we should have been seeing all along. Like, that, the whole scroll thread is that. But... The Wasp having that formula, that's... I'm not a huge fan of that plot device and that whole storyline. And it, it might pan out, but... I mean, at the, end, at the end of this issue, we don't even really understand what's going on with her. No, it, that's that's the problem I had. So, I mean, it's the same it's the same issue where, you know, I like to have my miniseries contained a little bit more. You like yours spreading out everywhere. And really, that's that's a stylistic thing you know, difference in both of us. So, you know, you probably got way more out of that than I did. Yeah, I mean, I love this book, but that's because I'm reading every single tie-in. But no, I'd give it like a 9, nine out of 10, um, just because it was so exciting for me. Um, but again, like I said, that that's my personal preference. I can see how a lot of other people wouldn't have liked it. Okay. On to uh, Ultimate Spider-Man number 127. I have questions for you. All right. So, okay, so Carnage, after killing Gwen Stacy, 
Yes. Took the essence of Gwen Stacy. So, somehow, Carnage has like the genetic code of Gwen. So basically, Carnage is like a clone of Gwen. But it's not Gwen. But it's well, it it kind of is. It's basically like like a clone of Gwen. Well, uh, yeah, but a clone. It's not the real Gwen. Right. Like, so it's it, not like, the real Gwen Stacy. No. But so, so she she is still dead. Yes. That's what I was confused about. Like, is like. You know, was there a bonding experience or something like that? Did like did they fake her death and take her to this facility? As far as like, I know, I mean, she's still dead. That might be something that is retcon, but she's she's dead as far as we know right now. Okay. Um, other than that, I really like this book. Again, like <laughs> I never don't like this book, right. but the scene of like Eddie Brock showing up at school and threatening Peter, and he's just like, "What the hell are you doing here?" and like, his trouble with that, and he's trying to figure out who to go to. There's this big, like, double page, and I love the panels. They're just, like, three vertical columns down uh, each page, combining into one large picture of uh, Peter swinging around the city, and he goes around the Baxter building, and he's like, ah, you know, the Fantastic Four aren't even home, and I can't even touch the <laughs> building, or else things will come out and shoot me. And, right. and I mean, it, it, it was beautiful, and I loved the, the referencing the, the larger Ultimate Universe, but at the same time, it, it pointed out some of the absurdity of the Ultimate Universe as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love I, I love that. And then, like, Nick Fury, he kind of brings that up, and, you know, what kind of world is it when you know, have to go to Nick Fury, and then he goes to the... And then he goes to the Ultimates, and I totally expected him to say the Avengers, and I'm like, oh yeah, okay, we're in the Ultimate Universe. Right. And then, you know, they're taking off and going on something, it's like, oh, hey, hey, it's kind of like missing the bus, and um, just, I mean, it was gorgeous. He's, you know, swinging around the city at night, it's raining. I mean, you could almost give this book an 8 out of 10 on the art alone. It was, it was just yeah. fantastic. It's funny, because um, Bendis on Twitter said that this was Imonen's, like, best issue yet and he wasn't joking like this was really really pretty and it was really nice like it was it was very very nice to look at yeah i mean it, it really was and i really enjoyed the conflict peter was going through and then he kind of does a little detective work and i i didn't know peter was much of a detective so i enjoyed that quite a bit and then the last scene like uh carnage showing up as Gwen, as kind of partially gwen stacy in his bedroom when he gets home like how effed up is that to have your dead ex-girlfriend show up in your room and be kind of like half, like, the only thing that's carnage is her face and then her body is Gwen Stacy. It was really disturbing. It was like... It it, it obviously thinks it's Gwen. Yeah, because it's like, it's basically like a clone. Like, it it has Gwen's memories and everything, so it thinks it's Gwen. And it's, yeah, it's, you just see Gwen and then you see the face of carnage. And it's, ugh, it gives me the heebie-jeebies even looking at it right now. Yeah, the book. This was a really dark book for Ultimate Spider-Man. It was. I mean, he's going through some not so much uh, fun stuff, and the he's had to to deal with Gwen just the same way as in the the regular Marvel universe. But I'm not even sure if we really. I mean, the Marvel universe at that time. I mean, Gwen died, but it's and I can't say because I didn't go back and read all those issues. But I can't, you know, imagine that he really had to deal with it that much, you know, because because of how things were then. You kind of just forgot about it. Mm-hmm. But like, I mean, he's had to deal with the fact that Gwen died already, and it was something that was a big deal. And so this is something that's just going to make him feel worse and worse about it. Because I mean, the reality is that if he wasn't Spider Man, if he wasn't doing what he was, you know, was doing, like she would be fine. And so, I mean, he is indirectly, you know, he caused her death. Responsible, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it, like I said, it, it, usually this is kind of a fairly lighthearted, kind of jokey book, and and it's a lot of fun. And it's still a lot of fun. It's just I was really um, surprised, but also really impressed with the with the darker tone of this storyline so far. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think that's a bad direction to go in, especially when you're you're dealing with, you're dealing with both Venom and Carnage, which, you know, they're making them really into more monstrous things than it looks like they have been in the main books. You know, especially Venom, he's kind of kind of a joke now in the main books. See, the thing is, is that they're, it's the about the people, too. Like, Eddie Brock in this book is a messed up dude. Like, he doesn't need Venom to be scary. Like, when he's, he's stalking Peter... And he's he's dangerous. Like he really has it out for Peter, and he's like he's really lost it. And that's 
it's you know it's, it's a little frightening when he shows up at the school and he's saying this you know all these crazy things. Yeah, no, I I I liked it a lot. Eight out of ten. Yeah, I'd give it probably the same thing. Eight out of ten, which Ultimate Spider-Man is you know it's constantly solid. Yeah, it's consistently good. It should be um, interesting though because this coming week is the Ultimate Spider-Man Annual number three, and that's the Peter Mary Jane sex issue apparently. So Bendis is gonna uh, tackle that. I'm excited. Yeah, should we, I, I have no idea what he's going to do, so it should be interesting. All right, so one last book uh, was Superman, the new Krypton special. Uh, did Action Comics come out last week or the week before? Uh, two weeks ago. Two weeks I ago. Think. So two weeks ago we talked about Action Comics. We talked about the death of Pod Kent and the reemergence of uh, Kandor, which is going to be right next to uh, the Fortress. So this is uh, the special that's going to start off the new storyline of New Krypton, which is going to connect all the Superman books, Action, Superman, and even Supergirl. So what did you think of this one? Um, this was awesome. This was, this was really, really good. And I can't believe like how much I'm into Superman right now. Mm-hmm. And there were, there were I mean, the, the whole book, let me just get this out of the way, the whole book was consistently good. I thought every artist that worked on it was really good. Yep. I thought, you know, both writers, fantastic, or all three writers that were fantastic. But there were two scenes, the, the very beginning and the very end, and they just killed me. The first was the funeral scene. Oof. And, Mostly and silent, like no, basically no words. There were no words at all. Um for the first four or five pages of this book, there's absolutely no words. It's all visual. And Gary Frank does the art, and just you see Clark trying to speak at his father's funeral. And then, and it's all just like, you know, if you have someone in your family that passes away, you totally know this feeling. And, and you know, you see people come up to him and try and comfort him at the funeral, and, and his mother sitting by herself, and, and he's, you know, He's hugging her. I really enjoyed that Bruce was there, kind mm-hmm. of, you know, off to the side. That was a really nice touch. But just the fact that it was all silent. And then you see, like, he, he kind of fantasized about going and killing Brainiac. And, yeah, that was uh, really When was, was the intense. last time you saw Super- yeah, Superman be like that? It, yeah, this, it was, uh, the part that got me is when they actually started talking, and he, he, he starts talking to his mom, and then he doesn't know what to say, and then he's just like, I'm sorry, I couldn't save him. And I was like, oh, oh, this is too much. Yeah, and then just remembering, you know, the, all the talks, even like the last one that they did just a couple months ago, but mm-hmm. um, you know, all, the, all the little moments that Clark and Pa had over the years. And, like, God, that was good. And then the very last scene, to come back to that, Clark goes off and he's, you know, to anyone who hasn't read this yet, Candor's back, he goes off to check in on all the Kryptonians that are now gaining powers and, heading off into the world and much to even Clark and Kara's worry about it. You know, what's, what's going to happen here? Uh, we cut back to a scene where it's just, uh, Ma Kent back on the farm and she's just made dinner for herself. And we see like a table with all of Pa's stuff, like his glasses, his car keys and his hat. Mm-hmm. And, um, and she's just sitting there in a dark room, like by herself eating at the table and it's just pouring down rain outside. I was just like, Oh, God, I guess it wasn't the last thing. It's the second to last thing in the book. But yeah. oh my God, that like that hit me so hard. Like, um, it, God, this is really rough. Because um, like, I mean, just from personal experience, in my family, like I, I, I've seen this happen before, and like, oh my God, it was just like, it was a, it was a punch to the gut. It was just mm-hmm. awful. Yeah, it really, it really, really was. It was very emotional. I thought we were done with that after action, but. Yeah, and then um, we get some we get some insight into Candor. Um, we have a lot of Kryptonians who are now discovering their powers, and and you know it's it's always been the fact that Superman was the last Kryptonian, and now he's found out that he's not. But how does he react to that? And more importantly, how do people who are from a different planet who were not raised by Mom and Pa Kent how do they react when they're on Earth and all of a sudden they have superpowers? And this is like, we're getting the same kind of Jeff Johns um, that we're getting in JSA with Gog. We're seeing this beautiful city, we're seeing Kryptonians, and this should be this wonderful, amazing thing, but we know this is going to be really, really bad. Also, um, 
Kryptonians are kind of uh, they're kind of elitist. <laughs> they really are. They really uh, they came you know they're they're on Earth and you know they got one city and they're they just fan out and they're like well and, and they even start calling the the planet they're on New Krypton and they're like no it's we, they actually call it Earth and it's just like they th- they show up and they just think they own the place already. And so that's that's the problem. And it's like, what are what's going to happen when they start really heading out into the world? Which of course happens. You know, they, they one kills a blue whale because he doesn't have any idea of you know of what an endangered species is and what you can and can't do. And right. It's just like it's a it's absurd, and yet I'm just like, God, how are they going to fix this? Yeah, it's so it's such an interesting idea. It's a, it's like having a bunch of two-year-olds rocking around with the powers of Superman because they just they just don't know better and they don't want to like Clark's trying to talk to them and be like okay we need to have some you know we need to sit everyone down we need to go through the rules they need to know what and the um, is it uh Zor-El cares that yeah who's just like well you know what we can't tell everyone what to do they're just gonna figure it out just just relax and Clark's like oh this 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 isn't gonna be good and then at the very end, we see uh, the fact that we see Luther's back. Yeah. Yeah, and the government program getting ready to take on Superman, which I felt was almost a little too convenient. That was the only part of the story I was like, meh. Because yeah. it's like, all this, like, they've had years, and it's like, all of a sudden, because there's more Kryptonians showing up, they're like, okay, we need to kill Superman now. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Like, uh, and obviously, the dude has to check on It's Lois's dad who's in charge of the government program. Right. Who's supposed who's, to be dead supposed to be dead. He has a chip on his shoulder because his daughter loved Superman more than she loved him, which seems kind of shallow. Yeah. Um, like that, it, that was the only part of the story that felt a little weak to me. Um, I, you know, really, I think we've got enough of a problem already that we don't even need that <laughs> extra bit thrown in there. But, mm-hmm. um, but you know, it's, it, it is what it is and that's fine. Uh, I really like what they're doing to Supergirl's character though. I mean, they, they've really like, if you notice the art in this book, they they brought her shirt down a lot farther. They've right. made her a lot less jail baby than uh, when Ian Churchill was drawing her in her book. Like it was it was getting ridiculous. And now, uh, I don't know. She feels like a much more rounded character. Like even in the Teen Titans book, they write her a pretty immature mm-hmm. and in action, especially lately. And I I haven't been reading her own book, but um, it seems like she's she's coming out of that shell a little bit and becoming a little bit more knowledgeable of the ways of the world so i i like that they're developing her character and letting her grow a little bit more yeah i'll definitely be picking up action i already am i'm gonna add on superman i don't know if i'm gonna add supergirl i'm gonna try the first issue but um yeah i'd give this a 9.5 just because i haven't been this excited about superman since like the death of superman like i'm i'm like really excited when i see that there's a new superman book coming out yeah, which is weird, and it totally like, you know, a, a while ago they were saying, "Oh, Jeff Jones is going to do for Superman what he did, yeah. did for Green Lantern," and you know, I was like, "Well, that'd be cool," but I kind of rolled my eyes and I'm like, nah. "You know, right. uh, how good can it be? It's it's pretty damn good." <laughs> yeah, it's shaping up to be something pretty pretty cool. Damn, that's called that's called putting me in my place. That's what that's <laughs> called. And and you know, I'm so excited because we got the Flash rebirth coming next year, and like, God, I love what he's doing. Yeah, it's gonna be pretty, pretty, pretty good stuff. Just yeah. gonna get rid of Final Crisis, and they'll be set to go. Ah, uh, don't get it's a man with no taste. <laughs> All right, well, so, I think that does it for the books this week. This is a good week. Some some solid books. It was. Okay, so now you came. You went to your girlfriend's house, and you caught up on Clone Wars. Yes. Yeah, she she had TiVo'd all the episodes for me because usually it's on a really odd time for me. So it's on at like nine o'clock on Fridays, and right. I'm generally not at home at nine o'clock on Fridays. So I, you know, she, I, I got up early and just watched like two and a half hour block of of Clone Wars, which was. And let me preface this: we we a couple months ago we did our Clone Wars movie review, and we mm-hmm. and we said it was okay. You know, it kind of is what it is, and and that's all good and fine. Uh, I'm very pleased to say that the the television series is way better, mm-hmm. uh, and and it seems like it's almost like a good comic book where 
it, it, it took like maybe one or two episodes to kind of find its feet a little bit while still being good. Um, and from there, it's kind of catapulted up into a, a, an even higher level of quality. And let me let me go through a few examples and a few episodes uh, to, to give examples of that. Uh, the first episode was a story about Yoda and a squad of clones who were, who were trying to do a, a, a peace treaty with a, a planet. And also the Separatists were trying to, to sway that planet to their side as well. And what I really enjoyed is the scenes with Yoda and the clones. And Yoda was trying to keep their spirits up and telling them that, you know, in, each, in the Force they're each individuals and, and really kind of walking around motivating them. And he was even a little jokey with them, which was like a Yoda that we haven't, we haven't really even seen since like Empire when he was kind of fake jokey with Luke. Mm-hmm. And it, it was really interesting. Like he had that same little kind of laugh. And, it's like uh, very lighthearted. Was, it's almost like yeah. things aren't that bad. And you saw it in episode two when he was with the young ones. Like whenever Yoda laughs, like it just makes you feel good. I don't, uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know why, but it, it was great. And, um, and the thing I'll say about this series is, for as much as like you know the the posters and everything, you know the Jedi are, are front and center and everything like this. This is really a show about the clones, and it's really like um like a a, a young viewer version of Band of Brothers. Like it it really has that military like grunt feel to it, and and I love that. Like I I, I didn't expect that from the clones. And, you know, it's, it's even hard to do that from a writing perspective because you know what's going to happen to them. Right. Um, so, like, how do you turn them into sympathetic characters? Or how do you turn them into good guys for now, knowing, knowing what's going to happen? Which I guess is the same thing with Anakin. But, and also we'll get to Anakin where I was really impressed with how well he's being written. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're, yeah, they're, they're, not, they're not... not dark, whiny Anakin. This is, like, this is the Anakin that, you, you like, you hear things in Star Wars about his reputation in the Clone Wars, but you don't see that because we're seeing the underlying story, we're seeing whatever, but we're, like, at this point we're seeing what everyone is hearing about, which is, like, you know, General Skywalker, this force to be reckoned with. Yeah, this is very much the Anakin that, like, you kind of imagined when, you know, in Episode Four, when Obi-Wan's telling about the Clone Wars and and how him and, and Luke's father fought in the Clone Wars and, you know... We, we had no idea what the Clone Wars even were yet, but, like, mm-hmm. we imagined, like, Luke's dad was pretty badass and he was cool. This is him being badass and cool, finally. And so, uh, they, I mean, they did a lot of great things. And then the second-to-last episode, and the last episode especially I want to talk about, uh, the second-to-last episode was called The Story of the Malevolence, which was uh, a Republic thing where they uh, a new super weapon is being developed, which is a, a large ship with a large ion cannon. Uh, which disables other ships is being built by the separatists, and it's up to the Republic Jedi and troops to go dismantle it. And I was really surprised by the amount of like casual killing that the mm-hmm. separatists get away with on screen. Like for a show that's on Cartoon Network, like even okay, it's prime time, but it, it's essentially a show like for a younger audience. Um, the amount of like human death in it was really surprising and, and it's done like very nonchalantly like the droids are like oh there goes a couple more and it's just like they're like these bodies go flying by the screen and it's just like they're they're dead and i was like wow that's 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 pretty ballsy um the second part of it was there was a uh anakin leading a troop of uh of clone troopers and they, they're, they're flying in a squadron and they're flying like prototype Y wings. And that was so cool to see. Yeah, that was awesome. Because we all know like the Y wings were the oldest ships in the, in the rebellion and they've been around for a long time. They were kind of the workhorses. Well, here we see the prototypes and they're being developed like in the clone wars. And, and this kind of started what we saw in the next episode, which was you start getting to know a few of the clones individually. And then, when a few of them get knocked out, like you really kind of start to feel for them, which is especially really the squadron sick. because the squadron like is very tight knit, very close together, and they're very successful. Yeah, yeah, and they were like the best of the best, and um, and when a few of them start going down, you're like, oh, oh shit! Like this is you you feel bad, like you feel like you lost someone, and um, and it was it was it was a fantastic episode. I love that action. It was very much reminiscent of of the X-Wing Death Star battle in episode four. Like it, it had that kinetic star Wars feel to it. 
Yeah, what I really li- have liked about this so far, which is, yeah, I, I was, I'm surprised by how much I love this, and I, I really do love this show. Like, I was, I love this more than I liked the, the Clone Wars mini that they did. This is, really seems like something with some substance to it. Um, I like how they're, they're not just focusing on Anakin and Obi-Wan. I mean, we've barely seen Obi-Wan in the four episodes that there's been. Yeah. And we're seeing a lot of secondary characters. Like, we've seen a lot of... we The first episode is basically all Yoda. And then Plo Koon is a big deal in the other episodes. And I, it's just... It seems so more... It seems like expanded universe without the stigma that the expanded universe comes with. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think everyone sees the expanded universe as not being true Star Wars or being too hard to get into or being too geeky, but like that's the stuff that really kind of makes it all better. Like it makes it all this cohesive thing that fits together. So when you have, I really like the interaction with Plo Koon and Anakin because Anakin's really headstrong and really motivated and focused while Plo Koon's like, well, you know, are you sure about this? You need to calm down. You need to think about this. And I, I thought it was, they when the stormtroopers start dying under Anakin's command, you see that he's having a very bad reaction to it. And this is going to start to play into the fact that he, he, he's too attached to things and people that, you know, maybe he shouldn't be, but they did this in such a way that it, it works. Like in the movies, there's so much attention drawn to that and his reaction to that, that it just kind of goes overboard. But to this, it was just kind of this simple thing where it's just like, okay, you know, that's going to affect him. You know that that's going to be something that's going to, you know, be a factor down the line. But it's just kind of a snapshot, and it it was it was so real. I don't know. I love the show. Like, and I was shocked because the movie, not so much. Yeah, and okay. So the last episode I want to talk about, which was called Rookies, and it dealt almost entirely the, the Jedi were hardly in it at all. But it dealt with a squad of uh, rookie clone troopers who were stationed at a Republic outpost which General Grievous has his sights on to take over. And so there's a lot of back and forth, and basically a, a lot of the troops stationed at this uh, place get, get taken out, and there ends up being, uh, you know, three rookies left. And through that we see... And the story starts off, we, we kind of start getting introduced to them, and, and how each, you know, even though they're voiced by the same person... They each have a very distinct mm-hmm. uh, kind of tone to them, and and different pers- very different personalities amongst them. And then also we uh, we see Captain Cody and Captain Rex being brought in, which was kind of funny because they're definitely like in episode three we saw Cody was assigned to uh, Kenobi, and Rex has obviously worked a lot more with Skywalker. And the funny thing is they kind of uh, have characteristics of both with them too. Cody is much more uh, the conservative one where Rex is more of the gung-ho action one. And, but that's fine. Like they both work together really, really well. And they, they kind of instill the rookies with spirit. And, and the, the last scene with the, the rookie called heavy, like, like I said, there's a lot of death in this, in these stories. And I was really surprised. And like, they will take a half an hour, introduce you to someone, kill them off. And you're like, Holy shit. I can't believe that happened. Yeah. So it it was just really really well done. I'd say the last episode was the darkest of them all, and I was I was surprised and again very very pleased with that direction. I'm sure it's not always going to be like that, but um, the funny thing is, like after the movie came out, I thought, you know, it's kind of sad because there's going to be a Star Wars TV show on, and I'm probably just not going to be that into it. I don't know if I'll buy the DVD seasons that you know it, you know it'll just kind of exist, and I you know don't have to be a part of it. Um, I'm. I'm loving this now, and they're just like, I'm I'm all in, so. Yeah, I'm looking forward to more. I'm looking forward to some more, um, not obscure characters, but I'm actually, I really like Shakti in the old Clone Wars, so I'm really hoping that we see some more Shakti in this one. Um, I'm looking forward to some more Mace Windu. I'm just, I'm just like, I have no idea what's going to happen, and... We've all, ever since we were little kids, we've all wanted to know the tale of the Clone Wars, and we've seen the beginning and the end, but I, I'm i excited for the ride. I want to see, you know, what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and it's, and it's been a lot of fun so far. It definitely definitely has that Star Wars feel to it, and it's it's great. It's great to be energized with that again, and, you know, with the Force Unleashed we talked about a couple weeks ago, and it 
it's it's fantastic. I love it. So I, I'm very pleased with the show. I give it a a great review. Mm-hmm. For sure. So uh, that does it for us this week. We will uh, we'll be discussing more of the heroes episode in the next uh, next episode or heroes episodes in the next episode. Uh, we're talking about it, several several of the episodes that we ha- we've been skipping over. So um, if you have any questions for us, you can always of course email us at contact at fanboystrikeback.com. Or uh, you can also go to our website, which is www.fanboystrikeback.blogspot.com. And that's where we post uh, the podcast episodes. Uh, we post general articles that I uh, think you might be into. Uh, but we also have a link to our forums on there, the comic forums, Fanboy Strike Back. And uh, that's where we post topics about what we're picking for the week, uh, TV shows, video games, um, just general topics of interest that you know love to love to see on there, love to chat with you about, and hope to see on there. Um, we're also on uh, several podcatchers. Um, we're back on iTunes now. Yep, the iTunes stuff is all figured out. So you can catch us on iTunes, Podcast Alley, uh, any podcatcher. If you like the show, please leave us a review. Uh, that really helps us out. Lets more people uh, get aware of the show. Uh, like Eric said, head over to the forums. Uh, we have threads about TV shows, comic, video games. Um, I'm supposed to pick up Little Big Planet for the PS3 t- tomorrow night. So after I start playing that, I'll probably throw up a thread. I reserved it, and I was supposed to get it what on Sunday, but they didn't have enough for my reservation, which is kind of annoying. Because why would I reserve it without getting? <laughs> but anyway, anyway. Really good operation um, right in there. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then you can also call us. Uh, we have voicemail. So you can give us a call at 206-350-2354. You can leave a question that you'd like us to answer, a comment, you know, whatever it is. We'll play it and we'll we'll respond to it on the show. And then you also want to head over to InSock Trades. They're actually sponsoring the show for us, which is very cool. Not sure why anyone would want to sponsor us to talk about books, but we love doing it, so it's very cool. Awesome. Um, and then they're actually a very cool site. You can get um, trays there for, I think, like up to 35% off. They do very nice shipping. I was kind of worried. I always get worried about like people shipping comics, but very professional, very protected. Uh, I'm, I still have the two last trades of The Walking Dead to get through. But I just ordered some new Powers trades, and actually I'm into Fables now, so I'm getting some of the old Fables trades. Really? So, yeah, so in-stock trades basically is one of the worst things that has happened to me in recent memory, because it's taking all my money. Thank you, in-stock trades. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, well, that does it for us this week. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it, and we will uh, see you again next time. Mm-hmm.